These are the crews that are competing for this title and it's going to be, I think, between Canada, the world champions, the young pretenders, if you like, against the old guard. But Canada, Max Bracklin's crew with Canada there, they've got great exuberance, great, great will and they row extremely well indeed. So they're great fighters and this is going to be a very intriguing race. Canada coming up now to challenge for the lead. They've just got about four or five feet to the to, to come level. It's about halfway and this is a race on for these two crews as they start to drop Australia. Italy on the far side, top of the picture there, beginning to challenge for third place with Australia. Yes, it looks as if it might well develop into a race of two halves. Canada here in the foreground down with this very distinctive style. Yes, they do lie back a long way. They send, but they, they row their boat very well. They make sure that the strokes really count and they send the boat as far as they can. Lovely top shot there of Canada, beautifully together, lovely strokes, very good angles, and they have moved now into quite a decisive lead on the Great Britain 4. Everybody standing up around this regatta course. This is what we expected to happen. This is what we hoped would happen. But now we've really got a race on our hands here. The Canadians, the world champions, can they come back on the British now, who've got less than quarter of a length, still 100 metres to go now. It's Matthew Pinsent versus Barney Williams. It's Jürgen Grubler versus Mike Spracklin. Who gets it as they come towards the line? Canada counter-attacking. Surge there. But just on the surge, I reckon Great Britain, Dan. Inches, inches. What an extraordinary comeback there again from Canada. They started to pull back there, having, having lost the lead. They then came back again. An extraordinary last 250 metres there. After competing on the international rowing circuit for a number of years and racing at the Rio Olympics, Jake and I realized that each athlete has an epic story and a journey behind every performance, and there's so much more to the Olympics than just that final race. We know that the passion we have for sport is shared by thousands of others around the world, and we want to bring these stories to you guys. On the Row Show, we have a look behind the scenes to understand the journey each athlete has taken to get to the Olympics. We get into the years of work and dedication and the hardships each athlete has to endure to have a chance at standing on the greatest sporting stage in the world and a chance for glory. Welcome to The Row Show. We are your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jay Green. This is a podcast where we're going to be going into everything related to sport and performance and we're also going to talk a bit about rowing. South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion winning to be the best. Be the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, crucial roles, high fit, passion, great passion, fiction, gold, ultimate goal, glory, relentless training, pain, pain. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. I know it's been a, a long, long time. Uh, Jake and I just. Uh, we had a shot at making it to, to World Champs and make it into the pairs, so we, we committed really hard to that and meant that we, we dropped some of the other balls we were juggling at that at that time. So we didn't manage to put out as much content lately as we want, And but what that does mean is that we're recording this in a hotel room in uh, Plovdiv, Bulgaria, which is pretty epic. So we had World Champs and we got a very cool show for you guys today and... Yeah, just very cool for us. These last few weeks have been quite intense. What do you think, Jakey? Yeah, no, it's great to finally get content out again. Like Lauren said, we've also, um, the training has just picked up so much more since we've been selected. And we've also had uh, university and work issues that we've had to get sorted. 
but uh, we're planning on getting um, planning a lot of stuff while we're here at World Champs. Hopefully, speaking to quite a bit of people about interviews and uh, pick up the ball again and start uh, getting some constant uh, content coming out. Yeah, so today we have an episode that we recorded, uh, I think, a week or two ago uh, with uh, Jake Wetzel from the Canadian rowing team. It was a really, really interesting chat. I mean, he's got so much history and rode for so many different clubs and, and done so many different aspects of our sport. That was that was really cool to listen to. So, um, yeah, so it was just a really cool chat. Jakey, what do, you, what do you have to say about it? Yeah, no, speaking to Jake was epic. Um, he... he like Lawrence said, he had quite a he had quite an interesting career. Um, he started rowing for the USA, but then after rowing in the men's squad in the 2000 Olympics, he moved into the Canadian team and then rowed um, at his at his second Olympics in 2004, winning a, a hotly contested silver medal. Unfortunately, just missing on gold. Yeah, so most of the episode today covers the the 2004 Athens Olympics race, and it is really such a humdinger race. I suggest you. You go and watch that race before you listen to the show if you haven't seen it because uh, we speak a lot about it and uh, it's just one of the greatest races of all time. It's neck and neck down the whole course and just these titans of rowing going up against each other. So yeah, it was uh, it was an epic race and we will have the link in the show notes below. So if you haven't watched it, just go and scroll down on the notes and you'll uh, go watch that race. He's also uh, rode on the River Thames for Oxford and won a boat race in 2006. And um, he uh, finished his rowing career in Beijing, uh, winning his uh, ultimate race, the gold medal in the men's eight that that saw him rise to the heights of the sport. Yeah, so once again, this is a a two-parter as our chat with with Jake went on a long long time and we got such epic content. So we're going to split into two pieces, but hopefully we'll get both of those out this week so just keep an eye out for for part one and part two because uh, part two gets into the the latest stuff of his career and the quick fire questions but in today's part one we we get to his beginnings uh, he started as a cyclist and and went into rowing from there and then as jake said most of his, his early racing his first two olympics but then some also some other interesting stuff the a bit of his cycling and 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 he had this mountaineering accident yeah, that was quite a which was quite an intense part. We didn't uh, we didn't actually realize how intense it was until he said he was stuck for two days somewhere in the Canadian version of the Alps. So it was quite something to, to yeah. Listen so to. just a really cool chat with him. So yeah, please go forth and enjoy uh, part one of Jake Wetzel. Yeah, thanks guys. Enjoy the show. How's it going, Jake? Um, great. So we've got two Jakes and a Jakes. Good, good choice of names today. <laughs> yeah, excellent choice of name. Yeah, yeah. We actually on our we on a training camp, uh, just getting ready for World Champs in Bulgaria. Yeah, so we also just uh, not ideal situations for recording, but uh, I think we'll get some no, some good stuff here. Good yeah, have you raced in Bulgaria before? No, uh, no. But our under twenty three raced there last year, and it was very hot and very quick course. So we're quite excited to see how it goes there. And what what uh, boat are you guys in? In the men's pair. You're in the pair. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and we've been getting pretty good spe- speed in the pair, and we actually didn't really we we were we didn't want, weren't quite sure if we would be able to make world champs, but the the pair's been moving I think a bit faster than we all expected to, so it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, well, uh, that's the that's the part about about this stuff. That, like when you have time off and you're getting into this time of year like if you haven't had the best run-up it 
it also means that you haven't tried to have like hold your form for a really long time so you can kind of ramp it up and just get on a roll and surprise yourself also the nice thing about taking some time off is to get a, a bit of time to reflect on what you what you've been doing right what you've been doing wrong so when you start training again it's just a much more refined approach well that's that's going to be a, a nice couple of weeks uh, or a, it will be an uncomfortable month but it sounds uh, sounds like it's going to be pretty fun yeah, I know. We're looking. We're really looking forward to these next because we've got some some really good training still to come before we we head over. So it's uh, going to be quite exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So I think just to to start, Jay, could you int- int- introduce yourself to our listeners and just maybe um, tell them a bit about your highlights of your rowing career? I started rowing um, late. I started when I was like nineteen or twenty, and I had I had been a cyclist before. So my beginnings were not in rowing. My beginnings were in mountain biking and road racing. And I competed on the on the national Canadian national circuit uh, between like 92 and 90, 90, 96 and went to the world championships uh, on the junior team in 94 for cross country and was just part of a was part of a really uh, good group of Canadian cyclists that was coming up in mountain biking. And I just saw that I was uh, going to be able to be like a domestic, decent domestic pro, but I I just didn't have the body type or the or the uh, physiology to do uh, elite elite cycling. And I I saw an opportunity to switch to rowing, and I did that, not even with the intent of like going onto the national team, but a, but a chance to go to a good a good U.S. school, uh, a better school that I could otherwise have gotten into and I went to Berkeley and that kind of that kind of started everything I I came into it and it just rejuvenated my my uh, sport career and we I I just ended up in the right place at the right time and immediately uh, immediately uh, just kind of achieved success in in uh, the collegiate level and uh, made inroads to go to the Canadian team camps and I went, I went to there, and like first year of rowing, I was on the Canadian Canadian team. So, so from there, from there, I switched. I, I rode for the Canadians for a year. There was a lot of turmoil in the Canadian team at that time. I switched to the U.S. team and rode for the U.S. in the 2000 Olympics in the quad. Came back, uh, came back into and finished school, and uh, then joined the. Uh, then joined the Canadian uh, can- the Canadian team when Spracklin was back. Rode in the four in Athens, got a silver medal in Athens, and, and then moved into the eight and, and uh, won a gold in Beijing and retired. It was it was all pretty special to be honest. I had a really a really fun, interesting career. Yeah, and, and we definitely got that from looking at your um, just looking at your career quickly. Um, just to just to start off, we're very interested to hear about your uh, Olympic Games at Sydney, and you raced for the USA in the men's squad. Just speak to us a little bit about what that experience was like. Well, I think the the thing about about that is is that when I um, when I joined the Canadian team, it was kind of in disarray, um, and and they weren't really. I didn't come up through the Canadian system. I came out of the U.S. system, so I had rowed at a club level in Canada and was not part of the team at all. And so, kind of loyalty—my real loyalty was to 
was to my university, and so they wanted me to leave the leave university and come back and and row full time for Canada, and uh, and so I I talked to my coaches about it, and they there was a real expression of interest from the from Mike Tady and from the U.S. team to have me to have me come and try out for the eight, and so. So I, I kind of looked at it and thought, okay, I'm going to swing for the fence and go for it. Um, I did one year of did one year in the sweep program, and what kind of what happened in that time was you had the U.S. eight had won uh, the World Championships two years in a row, and then St. Catharines it was the Olympic qualifying year, and they decided not to change the boat, but you had all these people coming out of the woodwork from '96 who like like good guys that had rode under Spracklin and were really well drilled who had kind of moved on with their lives and then decided to come back when they saw the success. And so everything was stacking up on, on uh, the starboard side. And I kind of saw the writing on the wall that I, I might, I might make it, but the chances were, were not looking very good. Um, my, my best friend and training partner in Canada was Derek Porter. And so I went and spent fall rowing in a single with him, and then decided to go and join the uh, the sculling team. I had been kind of scouted for it because I had stroked the the cox the coxed four to a gold medal in '99, and so I went in and just kind of slotted into that program because they had not qualified in in St. Catharines. And when I went into it, it was just like a uh, a very intense campaign so it was it was a it was a really really wild kind of experience to be essentially my third year of rowing and having to qualify having to go through the qualifications and all of this stuff um it was meant to be kind of a part of that u.s team at that time yeah so um going back there i just want to touch on so you came from cycling into rowing so I mean, you must have had uh, a pretty big engine, and then you obviously just had to learn the the technical aspects of rowing. Did that come quite easy to you, or did you have to really work quite hard to get the the technical stuff right? Uh, I had to work. I had to work quite hard at it. Um, I was really lucky because I, I I I was just part of some really good teams and really good teammates. So I really got fast tracked. So I I would say that the that the the big thing that I brought away from from cycling and coming from an in, individual sport was an engine and a mentality, and that really that really uh, that really helped me when I went into when I went into rowing where it was a very structured um, team sport. So I kind of knew what I needed to do on my own um, to get into the to get into or, or to fast track myself. And so one of the things that happened during that time is Jamie Coben, who had won the Worlds, he came and trained out of Berkeley, and he decided that he was gonna he was gonna come train out of the uh, our boathouse. So I would go out and train with him in the single almost every morning, and then uh, train with the train with the college team in the afternoon. So what happened was the. The technical part of it, I learned to move a small boat, and I got to kind of be be amongst really high level people right away. And so, part of it is that your confidence grows, and you just learn by you learn by being in the deep end. 
Yeah, and and then after your your campaign in Sydney, you st- took a bit of a break from the international racing. But when you did come back, you slotted into the men's four. And speak to us a bit about coming back into um, the Canadian system and and getting a seat in quite a, a successful men's four, and then becoming. Uh, the world champion in 2003. That must have been a reassurance in your abilities as a rower. Well, so just to back up, like in um, in uh, uh, 2002. So I I um, or I guess I guess no, it was the the winter of uh, 2000. And I'm just trying to trying to think. Um, so Olympics were in 2000, and then uh, yeah, I guess I guess it would have been. Uh, January of 2002, I was in a I was in a uh, mountaineering accident. Um, yeah. It was in an avalanche, and my shoulder was dislocated. And so I didn't know I didn't know whether I was going to be able to like to row at all. So what happened is I had I had shoulder surgery on both of my shoulders. Like I I knew I wanted to I knew I wanted to try rowing again. But when I came onto the Canadian team, I had I had decided not to row in 2000 and the summer of 2001 uh when i came onto the team they had won the worlds and so the eight was kind of a set boat and and i was viewed as a total outsider because i'd come from the u.s team and they had uh i hadn't kind of been a part of getting that boat going and there were a few of us that were a few of us that were like that like um tom hirschmiller who had rode in in the in the sydney sydney eight you had uh they were just kind of a, a group of people that were kind of on the out, outside, and and so what happened in the in the course of that uh, the, of, of how those boats formed, it was never a real intent to form a four. We were trying to get into the eighth, and we're meeting a lot of resistance. So at some point, we just kind of said, you know what, we're we're going to lift ourselves up off of these guys, and we're going to do our own thing. And it was a really interesting dynamic because. Because what it did is it created this incredible inter-squad competition where, where the four was like, hey, like we're the priority boat, and the eight is like we're the priority boat, and we would just we would just knock heads all the time, and it was a, it was a really really tense um, hard training camp, and so getting into the getting into that boat and getting into um, the situation where we had a, a a good four and a good eight was just a kind of an unexpected thing like it wasn't Canada doesn't have a history in the four until until that point so it was kind of a it was kind of one of these things that just unfolded yeah I think a lot of um, good crews and good results come out of that sort of like in the pressure cooker and then uh, suddenly you you find a way to to make something else that you didn't expect to work work but I just want to let's just back up to uh, your your mountaineering accident um, and your and the avalanche. Just explain a little bit to to us what happened there. Mm-hmm. I have a, a place in Golden, BC, which is kind of the. It's like the. It, it's like the the Alps of of Europe, like or it's it's a bit like Chamonix, where you have all these mountains and and glaciers and 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 climbing and mountaineering, and there's a big community there. So when I wasn't rowing, that's the stuff that I was doing, and um, and so. Uh, it's a dangerous. It can be a dangerous sport, and I, I had uh, I I just had a 
I was unfortunate and that I got I got caught on a I got caught in a slide and I I I went for uh, a slid probably 250 to 300 meters and uh, um, lost all my equipment and we were 20k into the backcountry and and uh, I had to wait for two days for a helicopter to come get me oh, so son. it was a it was a pretty it was a pretty crazy thing because during this during this time it was like winter break from uh um in my in my in my final year at berkeley and so uh when i when i when i came back i like rode the rest of that year with a with a shoulder that kept dislocating and uh was able to i was able to do it um but it was just like not it was just something that had to be get, had to be dealt with. Okay, so then after the season, then you had the the up to to sort out the the the, the shoulder. Yeah, so I got I got shoulder surgery in that okay. summer. Flip, yes, man, that's, that's crazy. quite a hectic experience. Yes, it sounds like uh, the next um, 127 hours kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I I mean it's it's like a lot less. Uh, it, it's it was definitely a, a formative life experience put it that way yeah, yeah I'm, sure. I'm sure that also <laughs> i'm sure that that gave you a bit of bit of reflection on the the rowing and i guess it, it, i'm pretty well, sure it the, added to your mental rowing, strength I, I i've had two bad injuries one one was uh one was i i had these shoulder surgeries and the other was with uh i had i had a, a bad back so i had a i had a back operation in 2007 but and I think, I think it, with both of these, both of these things, when you come back from those injuries, you realize it's not, it's not you against your teammates or like in the whole qualification process and like all of this stuff. It's like it changes when it's you getting your body back into back into a place where it's like like where you're just trying to find out if you can even do it anymore, and uh, and that really changes the that really changes the the scope of things. And and uh, I, yeah, I, 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 it was a pretty 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 wild experience to to kind of get back into a boat and go. Okay, well, I could I have just so far to so far to go, um, and it it makes you really appreciate it. Put yeah. it that way. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I think coming back from from injury or or something is often when you can uh, start producing some of the best stuff because you, you realize that you you got to look after yourself a little bit more, but you're also so hungry to, to get back into it because you, you've tasted missing it as well. But uh, Yeah, the level, of, the level of focus that can be produced after an injury is, is uh, pretty incredible. On your back, I thought uh, I just thought that if you, you wrote for Mike Spracklin, then you, you had to kind of have a bad back. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's that's not that's not true. Like I, uh, you do a lot of work with him, but uh, I would say people are more likely to break their ribs than their back. You know, the ribs ribs break much before backs. <laughs> yeah, I suppose those are the two the two big ones. Ribs and no, it goes spirit, ribs, and then backs. Yeah. So um, we're gonna if get... get if he gets to the point if you get to the point where where you're breaking your back, then you're like. Then you're uh, then you're training pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna get to to the world champs and and Spraklin and the, and the Olympics, but we just want to talk like we saw that you you've had like 
such an interesting rowing career where, where you rowed for so many different clubs in so many different places. I mean, you, you spoke about uh, the Berkeley uh, College and, and then we, we also saw you race for Oxford in 2006. Uh, you've raced Henley. So, I mean, you really have covered all of these like, different uh, avenues of our sport. So it must, you, you must have such an awesome uh, view of, of all the different events that there are around. Well, what really changed things for me is that I used when I, I used the sport as an opportunity to go to a better school, um, or I kind of said that at the beginning. But once I was at Berkeley, I really had the I really had the view that that it's not a professional sport. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use it to I'm going to I'm going to keep getting an education, and I want to do and I want to do and experience as many of the things that the sport has to offer as possible. That's that's ultimately kind of why I kept I kept on why why I went to why I went to Oxford and why the whole time I was in in rowing I was also in school so I would also just keep it going and when I retired when I retired I went um, straight into doing a, a graduate school and then a PhD so so with those events and. And moving around, I got to be under Mike Cady. I got to be under Steve Gladstone, Craig, Craig Amerconian, like Mike Spracklin. I um, I got to experience rowing in, in Britain. Like I had teammates all over the world, so I would go train in Norway for a bit. And and I just got to cover all these ba- all these bases and kind of learn a bit from kind of each coach and each experience. But oh, like another another coach I had that was one of the greatest coaches was Igor Grinko. Um, who is the U.S. Uh, sculling coach? And I think I think what was so amazing about all of this stuff, though, is that you just it, it kept it fresh to have all these different campaigns and to be going to new races because we don't race very much. We don't get that many experiences to do races other than Lucerne and the Worlds and and coming from a sport like cycling where you did like forty races. 40 races in a year or 40 race days it's just just if you don't do that stuff i think it shortens if you don't try and broaden your your the horizons of what you're doing and do races like henley it'll shorten your career yeah and i also think like uh spending so much time doing these different uh, things rowing with different people gives you gives you a lot of skills as well to be able to get into a boat and and, and feel it out and make it work yeah it was funny um it was funny to listen to uh I, I listened to Drew, Drew, Drew's interview, and he has a very different approach and very, very different experience to the one that I did, where he was very technically minded. And I, I rode with a lot of people, and so much of it was just by kind of, uh, I, I think I just became very adaptive, and and the, like a lot of it was very subconscious. Like I think learning to row the quad was the hardest thing, and then going in and slotting into these slotting into these different boats just became kind of a second nature what i really learned to key on is like building the mentality and psychology of a of a winning crew and that's where where my strengths were not in the uh the finer points of rigging and and uh like articulating boat feel yeah and then let's let's get into your your 2004 campaign um in athens that must have been an amazing race. I mean, it's it's definitely up there with one of the one of the better races to go watch. That men's four final was an absolute cracker. But I'm sure for you, it, it must be a little bit of a bittersweet 
um, result for you because you did get your uh, first Olympic medal. But um, being world champions, it was maybe quite a really tough race to come off uh, second to the Brits. But chat to us a bit about that that race there. Well, to be honest, I've watched the race like, maybe once or twice since. Um, so a whole lot less so, than uh, Jake and I. <laughs> yeah. The uh, it's it's still a painful it's still a painful memory or result. Like I I like. I'm pr- I'm really proud to be have been part of that race, but like I spent a lot of time thinking about l- losing a, a race by eight hundredths of a second. But it was like the whole campaign was so great because that boat that boat was different than any other boat that I've been in because we kind of got thrown together with the scraps, and we we just had like raw chemistry. We didn't have so like if you looked at the if you looked at the bits that were thrown into that boat, it was not. Uh, it, it it was it was hard to explain where 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 it all came from. Um, so what was really exciting about it is that, it, like essentially, we just ran hot the whole time. So so there was no com- there was no compromise. It was either either we were going really really well or we were really we were really bad. So there was no kind of uh, it, it was just it was just a, a, a crazy campaign because because uh it always it always felt so tenuous like it always felt it was like about to fall apart and um and as we were going through it we 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 just like to like to go to go win lucerne first we went and won we won henley and then we went in in our in our heat we raced against the germans who were the world champions and like comfortably knocked them off and then we raced them again we raced them i think two more times two i think we raced them in the semi and in the final and so so what happened in the course of that is we realized you know what this isn't this isn't a joke we're good and and we started to we just started to assert ourselves and back ourselves and that confidence and that momentum was that was the like greatest campaign because we went into the world and we were kind of start starting to lose our form and was starting to fall apart a little bit. And in the semifinal, in the semifinal, we barely made it through and we were in like the outside lane and we went and it was just, it was just like a full, we went from right from the beginning and led tape to tape. And it was so exciting because all of a sudden we had just beat, beat the, beat the, the the germans again beat the brits and we were kind of going at this point at this point we're going okay well this is what we're doing we're rowing the floor at the olympics and then they announced that uh red grave and crackman were going to go from the from the pair into the four and i remember we had a meeting and and spracklin was saying to us well what what should we do should we be making like uh targeting one boat or should we be doing uh all of the other boats or like should we be doing a, a, a an eight and a four and it was a really tense meeting because the eight with the eight were world champions the four were world champions our 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 uh pair was fifth our cox pair got a bronze medal and there was nobody after that we were like hands down the best the best team in the world a best sweep team in the world at that time like everybody was at a high everybody was at a high level 
but then it just dropped off. So we're in this meeting and nobody's saying anything. And I stuck my hand up and I said, I want to row the, I want to row the four. And that's, that's really when, that's really when that whole showdown and that everything that happened in that year started because we basically backed ourselves into the corner and said, we're going to go toe to toe against, um, uh, against the kind of the, the giants and the, in the sport at that time. And so it was really scary and really kind of exciting at the same time to be going up, going up against the four that they were, that they were, that they were going to be in. And so that was kind of the, the whole start of the, of what happened in, in, in the Athens race. So we had raced them in uh, Munich and then we raced them in Lucerne. And then we, then we, so we'd met them two times, two times before. And in Munich, um, we were in front of them. They had a problem with their boat or something. I, I'm not sure what, what was, uh, it was pretty sus suspect what was going on with them. Um, because I've never seen a I've never seen a boat make it 1,500 meters and then go off into another lane, um, especially especially a boat that's prepped by having full time boatmen and and the support that the British team did. So I, I kind of feel like they were they were not on they were not on form. We went in, we we're in front of them, and they they would save face and we're going back to regroup and. So that piece of it, where we go, okay, yeah, we're we're on, we're we're in the hunt, and so we were excited about it. Go to Lucerne, we race them again, again we're in front of them, but then the U.S. team comes out of nowhere, and these are my old teammates who I have a history with from uh, a little bit acrimonious from from the U.S. and they come up the outside and they did to us what we did to the Germans and and the Brits and in, in Milan. In the, at the 2003 Worlds, they just came screaming up the outside and uh, won the won the four, and then those guys went into the those those four guys went into the were the core of the of the US of the US eight that went on to win, but but now now we're in this situation where we're kind of like feeling vulnerable, but because we've just been road we've just been road through, but we've kind of beaten the we'd beaten gb two times and now we're kind of looking at it going here's the chance and we just have to hold our have to hold our nerve and yet in that time like everything when you're under that amount of under that amount of pressure things just start to the the cracks start to emerge and so like we just we just kind of were had a really really shaky build up into the into athens and it only really kind of came right in the last the last ten days before the before the race, where everything started to click again. And so, what was what was crazy about that about that final is that in that week is when you look at the times for all for every event or for for the heats and the semis, we were like literally hundreds of a second apart from each other every split. We were like identical; our speeds were identical. And so when we were looking at this race, when we were looking at it in terms of how to prepare for the final, it's like we knew it was going to be a close race. We knew it was what this was going to come down to. We had another bad semifinal where we where we got out of the gates quickly, didn't really settle, um, didn't establish rhythm, and then and then the wheels are falling off. And so we were feeling quite um, quite nervous just with how we were how we were doing 
uh, after our semifinal, although our times were the same and everything was okay, it, it was it was something where we were going, do we try and go like, given how close the boats were, boats boat times were, and where we were in our semifinal, where we where we went off too hard and then like fell apart, and there was like no chance of having a sprint, or do we or do we take try and take the edge off a little bit at the beginning, and then go into then then have a chance in the in the last quarter of the race, and that's what we did, and so what happened was is we got out and those boats never really separated they never really separated and then at the thousand we started to get some movement and I remember okay uh, yeah yeah now we got them what was amazing about that is that it felt like when we were close so close for so long that when we started to move out it felt like we'd moved out we moved out like a, like a boat length and in reality it was like two seats yeah, because I think that's uh, that's what makes the the race so epic is that in basically down the whole track and as you say in the whole regatta, the speeds of the two boats are the same. So it's not like one crew is leading, having a huge lead, and the other crew is coming back. It's like the the race plan, everything seems to be the same. So there's just this constant jostling on the surge of of who's in front and who's behind. And when one crew moves up one seat, it looks like a, a whole lot because it's been so close the rest of the race. Yeah, and so, so what what was different is that they started to they started their they started their their final push before before us, and so they started to move out. They started to move out on us, and it was so loud at the end at the end that it was like like there was no real ability to communicate, and the there was no real ability to communicate in the boat like that we had like one word one one word which was like like if you, if you if you can't shut out if you can't shut out directions we said okay like if you can't then say panic so so tom or tuesday yelled panic and we just started to that that's what that that's when it, we started to bring it up at the end and and uh it it was I, I thought we'd won. I, we, when we came when we came across, I thought, yeah, you know what, we, we got this. We we did it. And uh, and I remember I remember sitting there and it was quite a long quite a long pause. And uh, and then just hearing the roar come up from the from the from the GB section. And uh, it was a really un, unpleasant feeling and and something that like still haunts me still haunts me to this day because you will always think about where could i gotten that 800 800th of a second where could i have where could what could we have done differently like how could we have been better drilled how could we have uh should we have tried to like break them through the first half uh or should we have like like we never really had a we never really i, I think what what's what's interesting about this is that we always were going tape, trying to win tape to tape, and we never, we were never trying to win anything in a sprint. We didn't even know really how to sprint. And the fact that there are, everything was so close, and the, and the other factor of this is that the Italian team, they were coming onto form, and they were really fast finishers. So we were like, like, kind of looking at this and going like, if 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 we go out, if we go out and we 
we put ourselves in a position where we can't we can't sprint the Italians can come through us and we could like we could we could easily end up with nothing if we if we don't play our part if we don't play our cards right yeah because so it was kind of this uh, sorry, conscious decision because the the I mean it's the races between you guys, but the rest of the field is not that far behind. And as you're saying, the Germans are world champions no, the year before. The Americans have been uh, quick at the one of the World Cups. I mean, obviously that's a different crew in the in the final, but it's. But it, the Italians, the Italians were good. The Italians were an underrated crew. Yeah. And the Italian, the Italians, when they and I know, like having having been in a boat uh, in the quad and uh, having been in a quad in um, in in uh sydney where we raced like we were we were pretty competitive with the italians through lucerne and then i remember the first 10 strokes of, they took a length on us in the first 10 or 15 strokes and in the heat in sydney so i kind of knew like the the italians the italians were to be respect the italians were to be respected they knew what they were doing they had good coaching they had good every everything about the everything about them was uh, was something to be respected, and especially especially the way how strong the, they were at finishing, and uh, and so so that was the, those were the dynamics. We were like, okay, well, like like if we get through, if we if we if we fall apart the, at the end of the race, the Italians are definitely going to smell blood, and they're definitely coming. And we're so close to GB that if we don't have uh, if if we if we don't get through that that the, that last that last quarter, if, or if like if we're if we go if we throw everything into the first part and we're exactly the exactly the same as us, they're they're bigger, more powerful. They're going to get us. So it was like a it was it was one of these things where where you never know what the right thing to do would be, or like what was the right what was the right approach? What would what would be the right what what would be the right uh, uh, the right way. What were the right dynamics for it? And and uh, when you lose, it's those things stick with you, and you think, oh well, like well, I get another opportunity. Like what's going to happen? And, and uh, yeah, it's, it was like it, I'm glad you guys enjoyed that race. Yeah, no, it was <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> it was good to watch, but I'm sure from your end, it must have been quite a, a tough result. But also. One interesting thing um, I must say, and I'm really interested to hear what you say about it, is that when I when I was looking um, at old rowing videos, it's it's easy to see you in the boat because you have a completely bald head. And then I was looking for your Instagram profile to try and get hold of you, and I noticed that you don't actually you're not actually bald. Could you just ch chat to us a bit about the choice of uh, shaving your head completely when you were racing? So. I'm a big. I, I, I'm honestly a big believer in like. I think I think the mentality, the mentality and presence that you bring when you're racing, is is hugely important. So, I shaved my head. That that was my brand. That was that was the that was the that was the way that was the way that I put myself in the put myself into um into the. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure how to. I'm not quite sure how how to articulate this, but I, I think I think when I was racing, when I was racing, I I tried to create a I tried to create 
a uh, I don't even know if it was uh, outwardly or in, inwardly. I just I just that was how I felt uh, where where I felt powerful. I wanted to wanted to be like uh, yeah. I it's hard it's hard it's hard to describe. No, yeah, it's easy. Uh, it's, e- it's easy to understand. I mean, like as an athlete, you you in a seriously competitive environment and obviously you want to try and differentiate uh you from other people but also almost more importantly is is establish your mental and your attitude commitment to the the racing to the performance and also just your men- your own men- mental and physical brand for yourself and it was really cool to see because it seemed like out of all the racing videos it's really easy to notice one person out of all the canadian boats and that was you and I think it's it's quite clear that you were very. Um... You know, it just sounds so it sounds so egotistical to say, "Oh, I shaved my head so I could be intimidating," and I yeah. did this. I did this out of a. I did this. I did this in a in in a in a in a way that, that I wanted to have a brand. I wanted to have a brand that was imposing, but but that's the truth of it. I did it. I did it because. That's what made me feel strong. That's what made me feel like race ready. I came from cycling. I shaved my legs then, so I was like part of the routine. Like when I when I got into the when I got into the end, I'd shave down. Uh, and, I that's, think it's... and that's 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 what felt like. That's what that was just kind of part of what I part of what I did. Yeah, and I think it works both ways. It's getting yourself ready for that uh, that huge physical effort and, and and that preparation beforehand, that routine. But then also, yeah, as you say, it's uh, intimidating, and I'm pretty sure no one wants to rock up on the start I, line and see you I, straight I, away and go, "Shit, I'm racing uh, Jake Betzel today." <laughs> well, you know, you know something. I think it's more important than than people give it credit for. Like, if you go down and you look around, you look around. If you go to into the into the boat pen in Lucerne, everybody's packed in there together. You see all the other crews. Everybody looks at each other. All of this, all of this stuff is going going on like that's behind the scenes and like is it better to it's almost like putting on a good suit like if you're going and looking looking sharp it's it's like if you're looking like you're well put together going into that environment you don't feel you don't feel intimidated by other people and other people are likely to notice you and so it changes the it changes the psychology of it and i i i i think that that was like one of the that that was the that was the real kind of reason why i was why I did that, and then, funnily enough, like when I retired and I was like, like out of it, it just it didn't feel it didn't feel real anymore. I like I looked at it and I'm like, oh, you're, you've gotten kind of soft. Why do you have a shaved head? <laughs> I'm like, okay, well I'm gonna grow my I'm gonna try growing my hair. So now, uh, yeah, now I have long hair. <laughs> I I had to like double and triple check to make sure I wasn't by mistake messaging the wrong Jake Vetzel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that that was that was really cool, and it's actually your teammate Barney, Barney Williams also had quite the. Uh, he he seemed like his his um, um, his look was the mohawk. Because <laughs> yeah. I saw there's a World yeah. Cup race. I saw footage yeah. of, and he's got a, like a proper spiky mohawk. And in the race in 2004, he's got the the red the line. red, the red uh, short crop mohawk down as well. Yeah, well, we like to back ourselves. We like to back ourselves into a corner. Yeah. And, no. uh, and that was a that was a that was definitely that was definitely a way of doing it. Yeah, I think it worked quite well. I think it uh, it had the the effect that you guys were looking at. 
At least that's what it seems like. You, yeah. you know, you know, my my feeling about it is is that if you're going into if you're going into 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 these events, the worst thing you can be is deferential. Like you can be respectful, but don't be deferential. Don't go in and say, oh well, you know, we're racing against we're racing against Redgrave and, and Cracknell. You know, I better tone tone it down and show my show my respects and kiss the ring. No, like you go in, you're like here here's I'm going to bring my best forward and. And by turning the focus onto yourself and what your brand is and what you're doing and building your own mentality, it 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 takes the power away from the from the other crews. And that's a wrap for part one of the Jake Vessel episode. Stay tuned for part two, which will be coming out in a couple of days. We're gonna hit these episodes out quite quickly here at, uh, at World Champs, get you some new content, and also stay tuned to our. Um, a little hype train episode we will talk about the racing that's going to come up ball champs what events to look out for and whatnot. otherwise enjoy your day and if you it's night time wherever you are enjoy your night thanks for listening to the show and we're out yeah sweet adios amigos arrivederci also I'm going to start a new podcast page where I just talk about all the dumb shit Jake does <laughs> <laughs> once he's recording episodes. <laughs> <laughs>